I'll begin by apologizing. I forgot to tell Dawn uh, to send out a flock note to cancel lunch because I'm going to preach from Genesis to Revelation this morning. And uh, so a few uh, introductory remarks. If you're over here, you might have to yell at me because I'm going to use some pictures for out here and I might forget to turn that way. But if you open up to the center, I have all of the pictures starting from the uh, left going over to the right. And that is a picture of the whole Bible and that's where we're going. Uh, Just to let you know that the uh, senior saints are not just meeting on Thursday mornings and having donuts and coffee. Uh, We are studying the Word of God, and this is the lesson that we just finished up in the last six months. Uh, I go over these cards pretty regularly, so I told them, if you miss a class, don't worry about it, because I can catch you up the next class. And so we went over these cards quite often, and so if I miss anything or you don't understand anything, just ask one of the seniors to teach you uh, about it later. Uh, I actually wanted to get one of them to come forward and do this, since they've seen it so many times, and nobody would do it for me, and so I guess I'm stuck to do it myself. Uh, the good part about it is to, is to let you know uh, that it's not a bad thing to become a senior saint. So you have a lot to look forward to on Thursday mornings when you get of age uh, to come on out and join us in, uh, in teaching the Word. So if we're going to get finished this afternoon, I hope you canceled lunch. Uh, we need to get started. I'm going to begin in Genesis chapter 1 and read through Revelation chapter 22. So turn with me for a moment, uh, jokingly, to Genesis Chapter 12, and we'll get there in a minute, I'm going to offer you an introduction, a prologue uh, to, the, uh, to the Bible, our first chart here. Uh, this is what happens in Genesis 1 through 11. Only three significant events, the creation, Noah, and the Tower of Babel. In between those things are just uh, genealogies. Uh, in Genesis' account, uh, we see the uh, days of creation. Uh, the first three days, we see that they created the heavens, they created the waters, they created the uh, land, and then on day four, five, and six, God created the atmosphere for those things, those animals that he was going to create, so he put the birds in the air, he put the fish in the sea, uh, he put the land animals and us uh, on, the, uh, on the earth as well. And then on the sixth day, uh, my view is, is that God began with the, with the panoramic view and said God created the heavens and the earth, and then he cranked down on the lens a little bit, and he said, this is what I did the first day, second day, third day, all the way up to the sixth day, and then he really cranks down, and it zooms in on his uh, ultimate purpose of creation in creating man in his image. And so on the sixth day, he creates man in his image and in his likeness, and then he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and there was only one command that you were not supposed to do, and that was to eat of the tree of knowledge and good of evil. And then we come right into Genesis chapter 3, and right away Adam and Eve goes and he eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil and uh, ruins everything, we think. And so which I, what I want you to see is there's five primary relationships that we see established in the, uh, in the Genesis account. The first one is your relationship with God. These are five relationships. They are prioritized. The highest relationship you have is your relationship with God. If a higher relationship is out of whack, it brings dysfunction in a lower relationship. So when the broken relationship with God occurred, automatically there began dysfunction between Adam and Eve. They began to blame God. Uh, Adam said, God, it's your fault. It's this woman that you gave me. The woman said, God, it's your fault. It's this serpent that you put into the Garden of Eden. Uh, So if a broken relationship with God will bring dysfunction between the husband and wife, 
with a dysfunction or a broken relationship between the husband and wife automatically brings dysfunction uh, with the uh, children, with the siblings, because we know Adam and Eve went to fight and, and killed, and killed uh, uh, Cain killed Abel. Uh, and then we see that, uh, uh, that not only did dysfunction come to the families, but the world is made up of families. And so in uh, the rest of the, the story of Genesis 1 through 11, we see that it was wickedness uh, was in the world. They were plotting how to do evil, and God came in and judged them in Noah's ark. Uh, and then the, they uh, spared Noah, put his family back on the earth. They began sinning again. God said, be fruitful and fill the earth and subdue it. They didn't want to fill the earth. They wanted to build a tower. Uh, they wanted to build a tower in their own works, in their own effort into the heavens. And God says, you tried. I couldn't see it. And so I'm going to come down to the earth to see what you built. Uh, so they didn't quite make it to, to heaven. He confused their language, scattered them all over the earth. So there's four. Your first one, your relationship with God, relationship with your Excuse me, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, relationship with your world. I skipped one because you don't see the other one unless you go over to Ephesians 5, 31 and 32. It says, he says, you have heard what is said, that you're going to leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife. And it says, this is a great mystery. And uh, 30, Ephesians 5, 32 uh, tells us what that great, ministry, uh, the great mystery was. It was Christ and the church. <clears throat> and so you had your relationship with your God, relationship with your spouse, relationship with your children, relationship with your church, and relationship uh, with your world. So when you get to the end of Genesis chapter 11, what they should have been thinking and what we should think after we hear this is, what in the world are we going to do about this thing called sin? I mean, why did it take 2,000 years uh, for them uh, before God did anything? Probably because you know how we are. God, if you would have just waited, we would have figured it out and we would have done it. And so God gave them 2,000 years to realize, listen, this sin issue is a very serious issue. It affects your relationship with God. It affects your relationship with your wife. It affects your relationship with your children. And it affects your relationship with your world. So what in the world can we do? We've tried and we tried and we tried. And there's nothing that we can do about it. Well, the good news is, is that grace is greater than all of our sin. And God determined that he was going to extend grace to humankind and we see that in Genesis chapter 12. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 12. And also, while you're at it, find, and this is going to be a greater task, and that is to find Habakkuk chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 12 and Habakkuk chapter 2. And put your finger in each one. First, we're going to start with Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, from your kindred, and your father's house, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." Okay, that's the seed. That's the beginning of the story. That's the beginning of God's redemption. In Habakkuk chapter 2, in verse 14, we see the end result. Genesis chapter 12 is where God is beginning. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, is the end result. That's the final thing. In verse 14, it says this. 
For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. That's what God's desire is. How does the water cover the sea? Well, the water is the sea and the sea is the water. How does God want the knowledge of the glory of God to cover the earth? It'll be nothing that you see except the glory of the Lord, right? No more turning on the TV and watching Fox News and CNN and MSNBC or whoever else you listen to and hear the constant barrage of bad news, only good news, the glory of the Lord filling the earth the way that the waters covers the sea. And so that's where we are headed. To get there, we have to begin in Genesis chapter 12. And so let me pray and then we'll get moving. Father, we love you and we thank you for your plan. Uh, We thank you that this is one story, one continuous story story from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 2 uh, 22 is uh, is your plan is your purpose in history you are unveiling your plan you are showing your uh, us your plan in scriptures uh, father and I pray that this would be uh, encouragement to our hearts that it would bring about confidence in the word of God that we read each and every weekend uh, father to give us a newfound love and reason Uh, to be here each and every Sunday morning, to listen to your word, uh, because uh, it is one great story of redemption. And so, Lord, bless our time this morning. Teach us your will and your ways. Grant us confidence uh, and assurance for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. All right, when you come to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, it says he promised you a great nation. And so if you don't understand that in the Old Testament, God is granting the Israelites that promise that is a great nation. And so if you don't understand the Old Testament talking about a nation, you'll have a hard time understanding the Old Testament. To have a great nation, you need four things. You going to help me, seniors? The first thing that you need is, oh, we're going to have to teach class again. (laughs) The first thing that you need is people, right? You don't have a nation without people. Okay, so when you come to Genesis chapter 1, what are they consumed about? What is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob consumed about? Consumed about a baby, right? Where is this baby? Abraham had, uh, had Eliezer, his servant, and said, well, how about this person? He's, he's, uh, he can be the promised child. And God said, no, it's not going to be, uh, be that child. And he said, well, what about Hagar? Uh, we'll take Hagar and have a baby, and now we have uh, Ishmael, and, uh, and now we have the promised child. And God said, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to come from Sarah's body. I'm going to provide it for him. Not only were they consumed about baby, but they were were consumed about barren women. women. Every one of the women, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there was was one woman in there that was barren. Uh, It was after childbearing years that they they finally had had a child. God was waiting to the point when they would realize that they could not do it on their own, that God had to provide it, and that's when he provided it. When you read about Abraham and Isaac, I'm going to give you all three of their biographies. Are you ready for this? Abraham came to the land, left the land, came back to the land, had a baby, and died. Isaac came to the land, left the land, came back to the land, had a baby, and died. Jacob, guess what happened to him? He came to the land, he left the land, he came back to the land, he had a baby, and he died. That's their biography. Great biography, right? Because it's not about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's about the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And that's what we're looking for in scriptures. And so in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were consumed about ba babies. It wasn't until Jacob and Leah and Rachel in their baby-making contest that we end up having 12 babies, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. So when we have the 12 tribes of Israel, we know the story of the 12 tribes. Uh, one of those babies became the favorite child, and that favorite child was Joseph, right? And, and uh, so when, you, when you're thinking about the great nation, what do you need first? People. What do you need second? You need a leader, right? You need a leader. If you don't have a leader, you're not a nation, you're a mob. And so God began to uh, create a leader. And so Joseph was the first leader. He had to, he had to be trained. And so he was sold into slavery. Uh, he went off to, uh, he went off to uh, Egypt, lived under the, uh, the Pharaoh there, became second in command. Uh, you know the story. There was a, uh, a famine in the land. The, uh, uh, Jacob realized that uh, he needed something. They heard that Pharaoh, uh, Egypt, had a lot of food that he could uh, purchase, and so he sent his kids over there uh, to buy, and you know the whole story. Eventually, they realized that, uh, that they were all brothers, and Joseph said, okay, go get your family and bring them over here to Egypt. Uh, the Pharaoh uh, favored Joseph, gave him the best in the land, and so they were uh, provided for and taken care of there in, uh, in Egypt. Now, while they were in Egypt, we know that the first problem that we had <clears throat> was the lack of people. When we get over to Egypt, what we begin to realize is that now there's too many people. So the first problem we had was not enough. The next problem we have now is there's too many. Uh, the people were, uh, were concerned. The Egyptians were concerned. Oh, no, if, be careful, because if you do anything, these Egyptians, they're going to they're gonna come after us. They're going to fight us, and they're going to overtake us, and so we need to be careful. Uh, we don't need them to reproduce anymore, so let's make them work harder and, and uh, take away some of their resources and still require that they do the same on a daily and regular basis, and that didn't work. They kept, they kept reproducing. There wasn't, enough, uh, there wasn't enough of the land for the, for the uh, animals to dwell together. They were fighting over the food and fighting over the water. And, and so then we have a, uh, another problem that now there are too many people in the land. And so Joseph passes away, and then <clears throat> Moses uh, is, is uh, raised up uh, there in Egypt. Uh, we know that uh, he, uh, <clears throat> he kills one of the uh, Egyptians, and he, he runs out uh, in the wilderness, God teaching him to be the next leader of Israel. Uh, after he runs out there for a while, and God meets him there in the burning bush, tells him he's going to go back uh, to uh, Israel to set his, uh, his people set his people free. And so God raises up the next leader, Moses, to take, to take Israel out of Egypt and to their promised land. So what is the first thing you need? People. What is the second thing you need? Law. What's the third thing you need? Land. Because if you don't have a land, you're not a nation either. Right? Think of, uh, think of the Mohicans. Okay, what, where's the Mohicans at? What land do they possess? Well, who are the Mohicans and what is their land? We don't know, right? So you have to have a land and you have to have people and you have to have a leader. And, uh, and so God raises up the, uh, uh, Moses and he goes back to Egypt. And when he leaves Egypt, God tells him, he says, listen. He said, I'm going to take you to the land that I have promised you. He said, but when you go there, you're not doing as the Egyptians do. 
When you get there, you're not doing as the Canaanites do because you're my people and you're called by my name and so you're going to do as I'm tell, I tell you to do. And so the first thing that you need uh, is uh, for a nation, you need people. The second thing that you need, you need a leader. What's the third thing that you need? You need a law, right? And so Moses is taking them out of Egypt, going into the land of Canaan to Mount Sinai, and God's going to give them the law. Now, the law is very important because how are you going to interact together as a nation? How are you going to treat one another justly and rightly? And so the law taught the nation how they were going to interact with each other and live with each other. And so God granted them the law, and now they're only two weeks away from the land. Two weeks away from the land. They should have received the law, and they should have went right into the land. But that's not what they did. Because they began to look back. Why did you bring us out here in the desert? We were eating so good there in Egypt. Now we come out here and we're just getting, we're just getting manna. You know what manna is? Don't know. You ever seen that, that uh, candy bar you used to eat years ago called a whatchamacallit? Nobody knew what it really was, but, you, but it was called a whatchamacallit. That's manna. It's whatchamacallit. Nobody knew what it really was, uh, but, but they didn't like it. They wanted, something, they wanted something different. So they wandered around in the desert, wandered around in the desert, wandered around the desert. And then Moses passes away, and Joshua takes his, uh, takes his place. Now, what is significant about Joshua, and one of the things that I want you to notice here, under Moses' command, they didn't get behind their leader, and they wandered around, and nothing was really accomplished. Joshua, they get behind Joshua, and they support him, and they conquer the land. It's very important to get behind God's leaders so that we can accomplish things. Joshua went, had a, uh, had a uh, uh, first battle was AI, and then they had a northern campaign and then a, a southern campaign. He ended up securing all of the land that God had promised. And they were unified, and they divided up, and, uh, and we see what happens when you get behind uh, God's ordained leadership and, uh, and, and support them. And we also see what happens when you don't, right? There's a lot of confusion, a lot of bite, backbiting, a lot of, uh, a lot of bickering. Now, <clears throat> what occurred while Joshua was going in and fighting these battles, if you remember that one of, a couple of the tribes says, ah, why don't you just give me my land now and y'all just go ahead and fight the battle, right? And so automatically there became disunity. And out of Joshua, we come to the book of Judges, and in the book of Judges, we still kind of have uh, 12 tribes that are, that are loosely linked together, but they're not striving as one anymore like they did under Joshua's reign. And so we start, these are judges. Notice that these judges are, are localized, they're temporary. Uh, there's not over all of Israel. Uh, they would be raised up to judge. They would repent. The judge would go away. The sin would return. God would raise up another judge. They would repent again over and over and over again uh, throughout, the, uh, throughout the book of, uh, of Judges. Now, these two broken lines that you see in our picture, I told you I'd forget the sides. Uh, the two broken lines that you see 
represents gross immorality and gross idolatry. If you read the book of Judges, you will see gross immorality and gross idolatry. Now, the encouraging thing is this little dot down here in the bottom. That little dot down in the bottom corner represents the book of Ruth. And Tim just got done preaching through the book of Ruth, but that was happening during the time of the judges where there was gross immorality and gross idolatry, which lets us understand something about God. God promised a great nation, and so the great nation was going to occur whether the people were in gross idolatry or gross immorality or not. God even says about the church, I am going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. God will always have a remnant no matter how bad the... the situation and circumstances around our, uh, around our country and around the world uh, seems, seems to be. God is going to build his church. I don't care how bad America gets. I don't care how bad the world gets. God is going to build his church. He's going to keep his word. His plan of redemption is going to take place. There is a day coming when the, when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth the way that the waters covers the sea. And our responsibility is we'll see in a minute is to continue uh, in that, uh, in that uh, uh, plan of redemption and s- spreading the knowledge of God uh, around the world. Now we come to Samuel. Samuel uh, was a, a judge of, uh, of Israel. He was a prophet. <clears throat> he brought some unity back, okay, so that they're back unified. <clears throat> when you get to Samuel, Samuel starts talking about the Israelites, We're talking about all of the families, not just one local tribe, but he began to address the whole. And so you'll see in, in uh, Samuel that they begin to bring unity back to uh, uh, Israel. The problem is, is that he wasn't a king and we still don't have a king. And so the issue of needing a king arise, arises and Israel says, we want a king like the other nations. We want him to be powerful and strong, and we want him to win victories, and we want him to fight and win battles, and we want them to bring back the nation of Israel strong and powerful like never before. And uh, they weren't seeking after a king after God, but a king like the other nations, and so we we see Saul. Saul started out good, but didn't didn't end very well. Uh, if you remember, he made a sacrifice he wasn't authorized to make. Uh, David confronted him about his sin. And he, instead of repenting, like David did, he said, okay, 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 you caught me. Uh, you're right, you're right. But will you please go back and honor me before, my, before the people? You know, at least save face among the people. I, you might understand what I did wrong, but at least make me look good in front of the Israelites so I can continue to be king. And so he didn't repent. He didn't confess uh, his sins. <clears throat> so afterwards, uh, God raised up a man after his own heart in David. Uh, David, if you remember, uh, had a song that just irritated Saul. Uh, he, was, he was acquiring and achieving more victories than Saul, and it just made Saul look so bad, and he was so worried about that that he wanted to kill and pursue David, and the whole story of that pursuit is uh, there with David. <clears throat> Once you get to the end of David's life, David got pretty concerned. He says, man, I live, in, I live in a nice house, and you know, I've always had a, had a house, but, but God's never had a house. 
And so we need to build a house for him. We need to build a temple for him. And God said, no, you know, you're, you're a king and you've murdered and you have blood on your hands. And so you're not going to build the house, but your, your, child, your, your uh, son will. And so after David, God raises up Solomon. Uh, Solomon would be the one that would build the temple. Uh, it would be one of the seven wonders of the world. People will come from all over the place to see it. And, uh, and now we're, we're talking about a house. We're talking about a house instead of a tent. Before it was always a tent. What's the difference between a tent and a house? A tent was you could move quickly. When it was time to go, you could pick up, pack up your tent, you can put it on your back, and you can go. And then when you get to the next place, you can settle down, you can put the tent back up. Now we're talking about a house. A house is a little bit different because it has a foundation. The temple has a different foundation. You ain't moving that. If you leave the temple, the temple's staying there, and you're going off by yourself. Okay, so now we're talking about a temple. The reason why we're talking about a temple, the reason why we're talking about a house, it's stationary. It's staying there. You see, under Solomon's reign, God fulfilled the Old Testament promise of making Israel a great nation. This is the great nation for Israel. And he says, okay, as long as you don't marry foreign wives and worship foreign gods and you obey me and follow me, you'll have somebody on the throne forever. Need I say that Solomon failed? 300 wives and 700 concubines, if I got that right. Was it 700 wives and 300 concubines? One of the two. Anyway, he had a lot of them. And then he started building altars to all of these wives and worshiping their gods. And then God cuts them off. Now, the thing to remember, the thing that, that you need to remember right here, and how it affects us today, when George Bush was in office, and he had the king of Israel come over, and they were signing a peace treaty, you're talking about it anyway, the prime minister of Israel stood on the Washington, D.C. lawns, and he said, all we want is the land that we had during David and Solomon's reign. Now, what did they have during David and Solomon's reign? Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Syria, okay? So what happens when we go into Kuwait? What happens when we go to Iraq? Here they come. They're coming. They support Israel. Here they come. What happens when Trump moves over to Jerusalem and call that the capital? Here they come. I'm trying to think from a Muslim's perspective. He thinks, listen, America stands behind Israel. All that Israel wants is all the land under Solomon and David. Here they come. That's what's in their mind. That's their mindset. Okay, so when we get to, now you can refer to your picture in your bulletin. When we get to David and Solomon, Solomon wasn't supposed to build altars to foreign gods and wasn't supposed to worship them. Now he has built altars and worship gods all over the land. And so God comes in and he judges them. He cuts off Israel, the northern kingdom, first, and then he cuts off Judah, the southern kingdom, Second, now above here, up on top, you see the letters A, B, P, G, and R. It is the kingdoms, Assyrian, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome. Okay, so Israel is attacked by Assyria. And then Babylon attacks Judah. Now the important thing that I want you to see 
is, is this principle right here. God's judgment is always redemptive. It is never punitive. Now say never. I'm talking about during his plan. At the end of his plan, it's appointed every man to die once and then face judgment. That final judgment day is punitive. Up until that point, it is redemptive. Okay? So even in the midst of great sin and idolatry, even in the midst of great judgment of Syria against Israel, redemption is occurring. Now, I'm going to make that plain in just a minute. But, uh, but redemption is occurring. So Assyria comes in, attacks Israel, puts an puts a end to the northern kingdom, and then Babylon comes later and attacks Judah and puts an end to them. And then it says throughout, and they captured the Israelites and took them back to Assyria and scattered them across the land. Uh, Babylon came in, attacked, captured the Israelites, and send them out and scatter them across the land. So all those bubbles that you're seeing up there, all of those bubbles are Israelites being scattered across the Gentile land. Now I'll give you a little foretaste of what's coming. When Jesus came, he said the gospel was to do what? Go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Where did Jesus go? He went from synagogue to synagogue to synagogue. So when he was going synagogue to synagogue, he was going to all these synagogues in the Gentile region. So he went and preached to the Jew in the, in the synagogue, and they rejected it. Where did he have to go to share with the Gentiles? Right outside the, right outside the synagogue. So in the midst of God's judgment was also redemption. God's plan was still going forward, even though God was destroying Israel and judging Israel. Okay, so in the midst of this judgment was redemption, right? Go back to Judges, the book of Ruth, right in the midst of the judgment and the judges and gross idolatry and gross immorality was this redemption through Ruth, right? So just to apply it to us today, when we talk about church discipline right church discipline is never done for punitive reasons it is always done for redemptive reasons we always want to see people restored we always want to see them come back to the lord we never say okay you did that that's it we want you out of here and don't ever come back that's not what we want because until that day of final judgment judgment is always always restorative and always redemptive all the way throughout the old testament into the new testament <clears throat> you will see that so they were in babylon babylonian captivity <clears throat> for 70 years and then under the persian government god uh, uh ordained that government to tell ezra okay go back and build the temple and so he went back and started to build the temple and then uh, nehemiah went back and built the wall and uh and they didn't finish and all the way through the major and the minor prophets, what you will see is them always coming and calling them back to build the temple, calling them back to destroy all of the, uh, all of the idols. And I believe that, uh, that there are so many uh, altars and so many idols built out over the land 
that even when the minor and the major prophets are saying, hey, destroy these temples, destroy this idol worship, they're talking about many of them that Solomon had established. And so they haven't even, they haven't even cleaned the land of their idols yet. Though they were coming back to build the temple and to, uh, and to build the wall. Now after they built the temple and built the wall, uh, they never did fully accomplish it. They never did fully uh, uh, establish it. And, uh, and then we come in to the uh, New Testament. And in the New Testament, we have the, uh, the Gospels and we have Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the promised seed uh, back in Genesis chapter 12. He's going to be a blessing to the nations. <clears throat> and now we have Jesus. Now, what I want you to see at this point is Israel, Israel was the channel that God used to bring Jesus into the world. The church is the channel that God is going to use to take Jesus to the world. And what you need to ask yourself, is it appropriate, was it appropriate, was it the best thing for Israel to take Jesus to the world? Or is it better for the church to take Jesus to the world? Well, that question arises uh, is the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan asks, well, where do we go to worship God? Some say that we need to go to Samaria. Others say that we need to go to Israel. And, uh, and Jesus says, neither. Now you're going to be able to worship God in spirit and the truth wherever you are. Right? If, if you were going to become a believer as a Gentile, if you're an American, and Israel's, Israel was still responsible for the, uh, for the Great Commission, You'd have to be circumcised. If you wanted to be in the presence of God, you'd have to go to Israel. You'd have to worship in the temple. Right? You'd have, you had to take on a Jewish form. Now, we want indigenous churches. We want indigenous churches. In other words, we want churches that come out of that particular culture and that particular nation. In a very real and significant sense, Israel and the nation were one. Right? Even now... We have uh, uh, Muslims who, who believe that the nation and the religion is one. Now, I know I'll step on some toes if, we, if I say that there's separation in church and state, but in a sense, there is a separation, right? We are in the nation, but we, we are not of the nation or the nation. We're, we're separate, right? They handle all of the civil laws, and we want to support them in their civil laws, but we, the one, we are the ones, the church is the one that is to direct the moral law. And we don't, we don't get into the civil law. The government allows that. Right? We, don't, we, don't, uh, uh, we don't put people in jail. We don't arrest them. You know, those kind of things. The government does that. The church doesn't do that. Now, if you have, if you have Sharia law and you have Muslims, they're going to do it. The religious leaders are going to do the same thing because they're separate. Well, back in, this, in the day when Israel was there, their religion and their nation were tied closely together, right? <clears throat> I think it's the reason why the Muslims are attacking America. They're not ta- attacking the church because they think that Christianity and America uh, are one and the same, and it's, and it's not. The church is separate. Uh, when God redeems the church in that final day, when, there's, uh, when the glory of the Lord will fill the earth the way that the waters covers the, ear, uh, covers the uh, sea, uh, I hate to disappoint some, but America is not going to be there. Uh, it's going to be God's kingdom and his, his alone. 
<clears throat> so when we, when we see that God uses Israel to bring uh, Jesus to the world, and now we see that God brings the, uh, uh, the gospel to the world through the church, brings Jesus to the world through the church, now when we go into a country and we evangelize, we want indigenous churches that come out of that culture so they can go back into that culture and affect that particular culture. I've heard stories of, of the first missionaries of America going over to a third world country and they're worshiping in uh, grass huts. And uh, they got to the point where they wanted to build a building. And, you know, as Americans, we like to take our money and do our thing. And so they put a red brick building, First Baptist of Madagascar or something like that. And what they found out rather quickly is they didn't use, they didn't use the building because it wasn't built like theirs. And they didn't know what to do with that building. And so instead of having a First Baptist of America over in Madagascar, build a grass hut in accordance with their, with their culture. Okay? Now, I'm telling you, I've been over to India and some other places. If you take an organ over there and put it in their churches, they're not going to play it. Right? They're going to be playing bongos and a lot of other things that we might think, oh, keep that out of the church. But it's an indigenous church that comes out of their culture. We need to teach them to worship with their instruments and reach their cultures. And that's the, that's the miracle of the church is now that it's not just Israel, but now the, 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 the gospel is able to go to every tongue and every tribe and every nation, and they don't have to renounce their tongue or their nation or their culture. They can be saved out of their culture and go right back into their culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's our goal, and that's our desire. And so you have to ask yourself <clears throat> at this point, well, if the church is good for taking the world to the nations, is the church good for the final kingdom? Is the church good for the final kingdom? And the reason why I ask that question is because now God is going to set up his kingdom. And now we're going to get into a little bit of the end times. I'm not going to carry it very far. Just ask the question, is there going to be another purpose for Israel in establishing the final kingdom? Is the church the channel by which God will establish the final kingdom, set up his rule and his reign from, from Jerusalem or there in Israel? And I would argue that it is not a sufficient channel that God is going to return to Israel and is going to establish his kingdom through Israel, the capital city being Jerusalem, and at that point, judgment will take place and God will separate the goats from the sheep and set up his kingdom. And then there will be no more wars, no more rumors of wars, no more sickness, no more pain, no more illness. Just the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth the way that the waters covers the sea. And you sitting in this church right now is God fulfilling his purpose by giving you the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and now asking you, now that you have that knowledge and you know that God's purpose is that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth with every tongue and every tribe and every nation, what are you going to do with the knowledge that God has given you? Are you going to keep it for yourself? Are you going to keep it for America? Are you going to participate in the knowledge of the glory of the Lord filling the earth by being mission-minded? and going out to other nations and other tongues and teaching them the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Now, I think anybody and everybody can evangelize or be a disciple. And this is how you do it. 
Find somebody that knows less than you do and tell them what you know. That's all that is required. You don't have to be a theologian. Uh, you don't have to know everything about scriptures. All you have to know is the knowledge of the glory of the Lord that God has given to you. And then find somebody and share that knowledge to participate in the purpose of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we love you and we thank you that this book is one complete story from the beginning to end. Though it's been writ written at different times in history, though many different authors, many different places, many different backgrounds, several different languages have put this book together, it is one complete, full story from the beginning to end. There is no other book on the planet that can boast of this reality. What we hold in this book, what we hold in our hands in this book is God's purpose and God's plan for all of history. And Lord, what encouragement it is to know that you have chose us to be the vessel and to participate in your purpose in filling the earth with your knowledge. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to fill our minds and our hearts with your knowledge. Give us greater understanding of your purpose and your plan and who you are. And don't allow us to hold on to it and to be ashamed of it or to be insecure in our own mind to share this great knowledge with other people around us. Thank you for a church that takes its mission seriously. Thank you for the support that we give to so many, so many missionaries and so many missionary organizations. I pray, Father, that you would reveal to us any missionary or any organization that does not take their mission seriously in spreading the knowledge of God throughout the world. Continue to strive with us in missions. Continue to give us hope that one day, one day, Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the entire earth like the waters covers the sea. What a day that will be. Do not allow us, Lord, to stop the work of missions, to stop the work of the church. The only channel that you have set aside for missions is the church. If the church does not do it, who will? Help us to see the great responsibility that we have and give us the courage to accomplish it. And it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.